Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Dr. Pamela Peek is a nationally renowned physician, scientist, expert, and thought leader in the fields of integrative, preventive, and lifestyle medicine. Dr. Peek is a Pew Foundation scholar in nutrition and metabolism and will share her wit and wisdom about the science of healthy living and optimal aging. She does say that if she could help just one person, she would have a damn good day. But honestly, there are enough teachable moments in here for all of us to have a damn good month. Sit back and enjoy this wonderful conversation with this fun, fabulous, fearless physician. Dr. Pamela Peek, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to talking. Me too. I have been following your work. I've been a fan of your work for many, many years, and we've never spoken. But it's kind of neat because we're on a very similar uh, the similar page about nutrition and fitness and lifestyle, and we're on the same page about so many things. And I, you know, we follow each other on Twitter, and it was this tweet that you put out there, which is why I recently reached out to you because it perfectly summarized the essence of this particular podcast. And the tweet was, repeat after me, self-care is not selfish. One more time, self-care is not selfish. And then you said, as physicians, we cannot care for others without attending to our own physical and mental needs. You deserve to take care of yourself. So I'd love for you to talk about this perspective from the lens of a physician. Oh, awesome. I'm, you know, this is an incredibly uh, important topic for me, but heck for anybody out there. But, you know, uh, people like myself as a physician and a scientist, one of the things that uh, we always do, it seems to uh, be, is we fall off our own radar. And we're so busy caring for others that we literally forget about our own self-care. And uh, I think that for many years, the stereotype was of the selfless doctor who basically, you know, worked him or herself to death. And that's exactly what's happening with a lot of people. You don't want that. But I think one of the things that really drove it home was COVID and the unbelievable um, work that have been that's been done by all of the uh, frontliners um, coming from all kinds of parts of the healing arts per se, and it just really made us uh, stop and pause and say, wait a minute, um, what about us? We absolutely have to stop thinking about um, ourselves and our self care as being selfish. Um, instead we have to show self-compassion and self-compassion means that you're willing to be able to see that you're a human being. You need to eat, you need to sleep, you need to be able to get outside and smell fresh air. All of that, you, you know, you have full permission to go on out there and do all of that because without that, you're really not of any use to anyone, but you don't even realize it at the time. You know, when I posted that, I have 400, I have over at least 400 um, likes on that one particular tweet. Um, you know, uh, so many physicians said, thanks for just saying it. Yes. Making it public and, and making it a source of conversation and discussion among our brethren, 
Um, and that's not just physicians, it's anybody who's providing care out there. Uh, it, it's okay. So there's, there's time now for a shift in the way we think about ourselves and our self-care as medical care providers. We have to be able to honor our body and our mind and our spirit. I love that. You talk about, you have this great, you have a lot of great fun concepts, but I love your epiphany. And you describe that in the hunger fix. You've talked about it out publicly. Can you describe what an epiphany is? Yeah. You know, when I was writing um, my last book, The Hunger Fix, um, which is about addictive eating, uh, I, I came up with this concept, you know, it's funny things happen when you're a writer at three in the morning, you know, you get <laughs> hit, hit with all these strange ideas and, and most of them turn out to be kind of fun and, and wild and crazy. Well, the epiphany, uh, the, so you spell it instead of N-Y, it's M-E, um, is really a revelation, a discovery about yourself. And, and you suddenly realize <clears throat> that you're okay. You're actually an okay person, that you are honorable, that you are um, human and flawed, and that's a good thing um, because you're, you're not supposed to be ever as a living being perfect. You're supposed to be delightfully, you know, um, flawed with all kinds of fun stuff. And flaws, I say that, you know, with a uh, tongue in cheek, you know, maybe you have freckles, Maybe you didn't want to have freckles. Well, there, there you have it, you know, and uh, you're tall or you're, you're skinny or you're, you know, whatever you are, um, you're just a wonderful human being. And I say once again, self-compassion is the first step toward compassion to other people. And so you've got to remember it always starts with the self, you know, however you feel is going to be reflected in everything that you do um, as a medical care provider, as a human being for crying out loud. Yes. I always say we are human after all. And I love to talk about it in terms of radical self-compassion because it is so easily let go in the world. I'm so glad that you're really emphasizing this out there. It's really important. You um, have this incredibly inspiring, relatable, witty, wise TEDx talk. And I recommend everyone watches it. You've already had, what, over 1.6 million views. I've watched it several times. But your goal was to fill the audience's survival void differently. And you talk, talk a lot about this in The Hunger Fix, which is an amazing book. And you talk about false fixes. Can you describe what those are? You know, um, this was my Wall Street talk. It was the first time in history that a woman, let alone a doctor, stood on the um, Wall Street stage uh, at the stock exchange, um, and, uh, spoke to all these happy campers out there. And these were hedge fund people and finance people, and there were just hundreds of them. And it was an extraordinary experience. And <clears throat> one of the th reasons why they asked me to address that specific issue, the whole issue of addictive, e uh, of addictive living is because so many of these people lived by hopping up. I mean, these guys told me this stuff after um, my talk. They they shared their own experiences, compelled to share after what I said. You know, I get up in the morning, one guy told me, uh, first thing he does is he, he takes um, a cola, 
I won't say which one, into the shower with him. <gasps> and I said, come on now, get the shower. He goes, hey, listen, it's never too early to start getting a grip. And wow. so a false fix would be a cola um, that is absolutely riddled with caffeine, that is riddled with sugar um, and, and carbonation um, and salt. And tell me that's a great way to start the day. Well, he was trying to, and I quote, fix his fatigue, but it's a false fix because all he's doing is he's guzzling um, junk garbage that's playing around with his insulin resistance um, that is most definitely not healthy or nourishing. And then he followed on with, you know, saying, well, you know, I, I, I keep this up all day. And then I looked at him and I said, well, just how many of these little hummers do you, do you guzzle? And he said, oh, it could be anywhere between six and 12. Wow. And, and I said, oh my God. And, he said, and then he looked at me. <laughs> this is the best part. He looked at me and he says, but, you know, you should be proud of me. And I said, why? And he says, well, at least I gave up smoking. And so that's what I, you know, that's why I call it switching one fix for another, because that's another false fix. Um, and let alone drugs, um, which is very ubiquitous over there, apparently. Um, and so, you know, that's what I mean by a false fix. You really want to fix? You want to get some more energy? Honey, slap on your sneakers and get on outside and take a walk. When I, <laughs> when I was there, I actually stayed very close. I was on Wall Street. They put me up in a gorgeous, you know, little boutique hotel while I was, you know, doing my TED. And um, I took multiple walks up and down the street and around the exchange. That area is gorgeous. I said, what's wrong with just leaving the flipping building and taking a walk um, and, and enjoying, you know, the fresh air? That to me is a natural fix. That's yes. the one you want, but not this other stuff. You want a really good fix? How about an apple with some peanut butter on it? Apple with some cheese on it. Um, Apple, you know, just stick it right in your little hummus. There's, there's so many ways <laughs> to be able to do this. I mean, you could just, what I talked about that particularly because everything I just said was portable, right? And so you have a refrigerator there, just bring it to work with you. Oh no, that requires planning. So sorry. Um, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So come on now, you plan all your financial um, engagements why shouldn't you be planning for yourself? Exactly. I, I say the same things. I love that. It's almost like false fixes could be likened to being band-aids for not really dealing with what's really going on. Like, why is he getting in the shower and needing a soda? And why is he chasing that all day? You know, it's going back to the the actual core of the problem, the root, which is what people try to just kind of suppress and ignore with these false fixes. Well, you know, it's also stress. You know, stress is through the ceiling for everyone out there. No question about it. And, you know, people stress eat. You know, that was the subject of most of the uh, scientific work I did in my laboratory at the National Institutes of Health. That's where we kind of, you know, laid the golden egg on um, really understanding what stress eating was all about. And it's a thing. There's no question about it. I mean, when you're stressed out of your mind, the last thing on your mind is, hey, let's eat some kale. No, it's just not happening. What you're going to do is grab something that is a sugary, fatty, um, salty, and usually some junk. 
Um, and you think you're getting a blissful moment and in, in your mind you are, um, but it's only for a moment. Then you realize you just trashed your body and then you feel helpless, hopeless, and defeated. And you go down that rabbit hole and then you just keep, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. We live in an incredibly strange world right now. You wake up in the morning and seriously, I cannot tell you how many people I speak with say, I just don't want to read the news anymore. It's just between politics and COVID and the economics and what's in social changes and cultural changes. It's all too much. And a lot of people just become somewhat, you know, reclusive and self-destructive um, when they're under that level of stress. And that's one of the reasons why it's so terribly important to hit the pause button. And, and this is true again for my wonderful brethren um, in the uh, healing arts, but for everyone out there, hit the pause button and say, what right now, despite all the craziness going on right now, what are you doing to be able to take care of yourself and find some joy in life. You yes. know, joy doesn't, you don't have to be flying off to Tahiti. Um, joy could be walking your dog in the park on a gorgeous fall afternoon. That to me is joy. I have two German shepherds, so I'm horribly biased. Um, <laughs> and, and this is my point of joy. Um, and clearly being with other people as best one can within these extraordinary you know, pandemic situations, whatever. You do what you can, but you've got to work it. You got to find the joy out there. It's not going to just fall in your lap. You got to you got to work for yourself. Right, and that's that's like instead of putting the band aid on, you're actually dealing with the issue. You're dealing with the stress. You're managing the stress. And you say this in a really nice way too. You say that you write your own life script. And that you, you know, that your real, the real health is health. So that's a good segue into the discussion about the epigenetic response to these lifestyle choices, exercise and adequate sleep and a healthy diet. Can you speak about your research on that and, and how you would talk about that to the general population? Actually, that was another TEDx um, that I did. Um, it was, um, you are what your grandmother ate. And it was, it's absolutely a scream. It's a real fun, fun way to be able to uh, describe what epigenetics is all about. So what is it? In the, in the simplest, easiest way, epigenetics is every gene has a little dimmer switch on it somewhat. There are certain genes that, that are, are fairly permanent. Like, for instance, I have blue eyes. So no matter what kind of lifestyle you know, habits I have, I still have blue eyes. And so I'm not going to really change that. So that's not as malleable, not as changeable. However, I happen to be five foot nine and I happen to be um, a triathlete. And I happen to be someone who is, you know, uh, very happy with that. Well, what if I was born in, in, a, in another era, another place where... Um, I wasn't fed appropriately. I wasn't nourished appropriately. I wasn't given the opportunity to be able to live to my genetic potential. Well, those genes that um, uh, control my height and my athletic ability, well, like a dimmer switch, they'd be down-regulated. They'd be dimmed. And now I'm not going to be as tall, and I may never really have much of any athletic 
you know, uh, outcome because I never had the opportunity. So what it, epigenetics means, epa means around. So around each of those kinds of more malleable genes, you have um, a way to be able to make them express themselves fully or very little. Now that goes for good genes and funky genes. What we found, for instance, is that people who have um, uh, the FTA gene, which is uh, the gene that marks you with a higher vulnerability toward the obesity gene, well, um, that's that's a gene you do not want to have full expression of. That's a not a great situation. So, but what if you were born? I mean, sixty percent of the global population has he has that one gene, but how come we don't have 60%, you know, gross obesity? We don't. That's because it's expressed um, either big time, little time, or somewhat. What can help tamp down that gene? Well, we did very simple experiments. One of the easiest ones was with nothing more than walking. If we took people who are truly obese and we did nothing but make certain they walk an hour a day for six months, the most amazing thing happened. First, we look at the gene doing special genetic analysis. We see that it, it is really trying to fully express itself. And indeed, that person is obese. Six months later, after doing no other intervention than walking about an hour a day, and if people want to walk more, that was fine, but it was an hour a day, we found that that gene was tamped down 40% and they didn't join a fancy gene, you know, gym. They didn't, you know, go off to an ashram somewhere and starve themselves to death or, you know, what they did quite frankly was they deactivated um, that gene by 40%. Now that's pretty cool. Can you imagine now if we took that same group of obese people and we also gave them healthy nutrition and the hour walk a day. Well, now you've got yourself a rock and a rolling situation. That is amazing. Now you're going to see the gene tamp down big time. So that's one of the reasons why um, we are, you know, what, what I always say in the um, epigenetics talks is genetics may load the gun, but environment and lifestyle choices pull the trigger. Yes, exactly. I love that that quote on it. It's a great way to describe it. And it's also because so many people want to just say, oh, it's just in my genes. And it's just, it's so strong right now. You talk about the birth of epigenetics. It's so, there's so much compelling data that it's impossible to deny that we have so much control with these certain things that we could do that are extremely powerful. So you also talk about awe and having this, this wow emotion. And can you talk a little bit about the mental component? Because you, you teach uh, your method is, is mind, mouth, and muscle. So how do you incorporate that mindfulness part in your coaching with your patients? Yes. You know, so long ago when I began to write my books, I decided to come up with something simple and alliterative, and that was mind, mouth, and muscle. Um, it was so interesting. When I wrote my first book, which was in the year 2000, and that was Fight Fat After 40, um, my, uh, my editors over at, uh, Viking Putnam Penguin, um, were arguing with me saying, no, we don't want mind first. 
that's ridiculous. It's always about diet. And so you have to go mouth first. And I said, the hell with that. I'm not going mouth first. It's mine first because you're not a flipping robot. And um, people are not going to eat appropriately, nor are they going to take a walk appropriately and take better care of themselves unless their mind is already engaged and wrapped around it and committed and determined. And so I yelled and screamed and I said, well, you know, if you don't put mine there, I, I'm not doing the damn book. And so, of course, they agreed with me and it turned out to be a huge success, needless to say. So mine to me is where everything starts, everything. And when when you're talking about things like awe, A-W-E, you know, like I'm in awe of you and back and forth, that's a, that's a slice of what the mind thing is all about. You sit down and you have a little conversation with yourself. Yo, how's it going? You know, are you really doing the best you can, you know, given all the circumstances of life to be able to stay physically active, to eat nourishing food, to be able to stay mentally engaged? Are you really doing that, doing the little mind mouth muscle thing? Or is that what you're doing? Or, you know, how can you start to help yourself with little micro steps, just micro steps? And so then you make a little commitment to a micro step or two, you know, and, and make it so ridiculously simple that you would shame yourself if you didn't get this right. You would just totally shame yourself. And so that's one of the reasons why um, what I like to do is, is I like to keep it nice and organized and self-compassionate and then maintain a self-dialogue so that you yourself can be awe-inspiring to yourself. You can say, man, look what I just did. You go, girl, you know, and I'm in awe of you. Look what you just did. And then go outside, enjoy yourself, and look around you, pay attention, get your damn nose out of your smartphone, <laughs> and, and actually realize trees are out there, and there's fresh air, and there's a wind, and that the autumn leaves are beginning to turn. And there's beauty around you. And there's beauty in the person standing next to you. And you can't do any of that if you've got, you know, this distraction going on, or quite frankly, if you're just plain being self-destructive. I love that so much. I love the way you talk about everything and I love your perspective. And just to sum it up, because I my question I always ask my guests are, how do you choose you now? But you've given so many great examples of choosing yourself even against publishers and even against, you know, just to, to stay the course with what you fundamentally believe in and staying authentic to what you are you are you have seen in the lab, you've seen it with your patients, and you've seen it with yourself. But can you just sum up exactly some things besides going for walks with your German shepherd and going out into nature? How do you continue to choose you now? Number one, I'm, I'm compassionate toward everyone out there. So when you're choosing you now, realize that this is difficult. It's challenging. Never, ever, ever go for perfection. And that means you out there, women, you're a mess. All you want to do is you want to be a little perfectionist. I'm not doing it unless I do it perfectly. Ooh, it's the P word. Run from the P word, right? Instead, go for self-compassion and say to yourself, 
I'm going to simply do the best that I possibly can under the circumstances of my current life. And now we're talking. I love that. So approach all of these self-enhancement um, habits and choices with self-compassion. All right. The next thing you want to do is small steps. I'm an absolute small step crazy person. <laughs> I love small steps. So if you could show to me that you could take a small step, what? You say you could never meditate for five minutes? Fine. I dare you to do 60 seconds. Now I've just, you know, made this whole thing ludicrous. Then you say, well, of course I can do 60 seconds. Well, fine. Do it. And then now I want you to double it. And now I want you to double that. And now all of a sudden you got a thing going and you've proven to yourself that you could actually lay down tracks that are sustainable, a foundation that is sustainable. That's what you want to do and small steps. So uh, no, you don't go from zero to marathon. That's not happening. What you want to do instead is get up and walk. And here's something that I really want to make sure people know there's some, I just posted this on my uh, social media, really cool study that said, um, honestly, would you stop trying to starve yourself to death and think that that's going to be healthy and whatever the best way to get health. If you want to get your foot in the door for health, true health and increased lifespan and health span is get more fit, get up, assume the vertical and start moving. That's it. That, see how easy that was? I didn't tell you to join anything. I didn't tell you to spend money. I just told you to, you know, slap on your sneaks and get on out there and then see how good it feels and it grows on itself. And then from there, you never know what's going to happen, but you've got to start somewhere. And then finally, right up your alley um, is, is marvelous nutrition. No, no, don't be spending a boatload of stupid money on crazy programs and things that don't seem to make any sense at all. And please, God, stay away from fads. You know, how about doing something radical? Speaking of radical, how about some nice whole foods? And, yeah. and now let, let, let's get super uber radical. Why don't you cook the damn things um, instead of just, you know, going out there and, and, you know, ordering on Uber Eats and, and God knows what else and opening up a box of or a carton of and sl slapping something in the microwave. Oh, come on. Seriously? You know, just simple, simple, simple. You could do soups. You know, you could do crockpot fun things. Um, there are so many things out there. You could take a moment, you know, make a fantastic, healthy shake with some marvelous protein in it. Your hair and your nails will love you. Um, and it just goes on and on. Small steps. That's all I ask. Dr. Pam Peek, you are fabulous. I have to have you back because I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, I just, I, I can't tell you how many times I do this and I love every single moment because it's all about teaching. And if I can help even one person out there, then I've had a damn good day. I love this idea of micro steps. They are unassuming and very easily achievable for all. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. 
For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. And if you haven't downloaded my free cheat sheet on choosing you now in your diet, visit chooseyounowdiet.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.